to Mark, rather, chapter 2 is the first passage we'll be going to. And uh, find that there, Mark chapter 2. Find that, look up this direction. Give a little introduction and then we'll get in. We're going to be going to several different passages this morning. It's a good song. I like that a lot. Sheltered in the arms of God. That's a great place to be. And appreciate appreciate it much. You know, church is such a great place to come. Where else in the world can you go and sing about good things, get encouraged about serving the Lord, occasionally get things, find out we need to straighten out within our lives and yourself, but find out how and realize that we can do it by the power of God and the will of God and uh, get reminded of where we're going instead of where we came from, get reminded of where we're going instead of where we are right now. And uh, I just like it. I really do. I guess it's good to like church, especially if you're the pastor. Huh? That, should, that sounds like a good arrangement anyway you look at it. And uh, we'll be turning to a particular verse in this chapter in just a moment. But uh, I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of the harmony of reason and revelation. The harmony of reason and revelation. I'm going to read to you the definition of the word harmony that I believe fits... Um, what I'm teaching from the Scripture this morning well, and it's a little bit of a technical definition, so I'm going to read through it and then we're going to go back and think about it for just a second so you will know what I mean by the term harmony, and I'm talking about reason and revelation. Both those words, reason and revelation, are both biblical words, and so I'm going to show you this and show you how the two things do fit together because the revelation of God is very reasonable and good reasoning will center you back to the revelation of God. Here's a statement about harmony. It's the just adaptation of parts to each other in any system or composition of things intended to form a connected whole. I told you a little bit of a technical thing. And the the disadvantage of hearing the definition, it's harder to follow than just reading it. So I'll take liberty to go over it again. It's the just adaptation of parts to each other in any system or composition of things intended to form a connected whole. In music, there are different types of harmony, at least three different types that can be there, but there, the harmony brings the different parts together to form a connected whole. This morning's special gives a good example of that. We have ladies who sing different parts. My wife, you're singing lead on that one, technically. She's a soprano voice. She's singing lead. And then some of the ladies are singing alto. And then at least one was trying for bass. That's a guy's thing. And uh, so you have the different ones, but you have the different parts of that group. Now, other than the lead voice, which follows the melody line of a song uh, pretty closely, other than the lead voice, if you take the parts out of a group, whether it be a choir or a quartet or an ensemble, if you just took the altos and they were singing the alto parts of a song, and all you had were the altos, they may have very good quality alto voices, but you're not going to have much of a song. It is not going to sound very pleasing if the only thing you have alto singing the alto parts. Now you can have the alto singing the lead part, and it can be okay. Um, They have to transpose something for it. If you had, uh, in in a men's group, if you had the bass singing, uh, they may have a great bass voice, but if they're just singing the bass parts, 
you're not going to have much of a song. At some point, they're just going to be back there going, ooh, oh, and all that deep stuff they do, you know. And, uh, and with that, now a bass voice, and uh, Luke did it recently in a special y'all were doing. He has a very strong bass voice, but he sang lead part of a verse uh, for that, but with the bass voice. And, and so a tenor, same thing. Uh, and so what happens is when you bring them all together, though, that's when you get that great sound. That's a very rich sound, very full sound. Why? Because each thing is being justly, as they, the term was used, or appropriately given its place, and they're coming together appropriately, so you get a more full sound, and you get the complete experience of the, of the sound like you should. Now, I'm talking to you this morning about the harmony of reason and revelation. First thing I want to do is show you that reasoning, although it involves the intellect, is not just what we would call an act of the intellect. Um, it has to do with emotion as well. And has to do with the, the entire inner being with that. Let me show this to you in the Scripture. Mark chapter 2. Now stay with me as I lay the foundation. Just like in building a building, nobody comes by and says, oh, what a pretty foundation. The foundations are, are a, bit, a bit, you know, dull. They're like concrete, but they're necessary if you're going to get the rest of it. So kind of pay attention on purpose and then I'll, I'll take some responsibility to keep your attention after this. But Mark chapter 2, verse 8, and immediately when Jesus perceived in His Spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, He said unto them, Why reason ye these things where? In your hearts. Now, what they're reasoning about is not the issue this morning. What I want you to see is that Jesus said, why reason you in your heart? Now, sometimes people say, well, things should be just purely logical. Well, there is a pure logic. And they say, well, your heart can't be involved. Reasoning takes in more than just the intellectual process we call logic. It, is, it, it involves more than just that. And whether that's the cornerstone or not is, is something I'm going to detail on, but I want you to see there's more involved with it. Look in Luke chapter 5, I'll show you another biblical example. Jesus said that they were reasoning in their hearts. We understand that heart takes in the soul of a man. It is the intellect, it is the emotion, it is all of that. And so, uh, with that, if you will. And so, let's look in Luke uh, chapter uh, 5, if you will, and let's see the statement made here as well. Verse 22, and when Jesus, but, excuse me, but when Jesus perceived their thoughts, so they're thinking about something. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, Why reason you where? In your hearts. And then, so twice the Lord has made the statement. He said they were thinking about something, they were assessing something, but he said, You're reaching a reasoning in your heart. <laughs> Do you know? Uh, people, probably as many people, and I'm saying this, I can't validate it clinically with you, but I don't believe it would be far off. Probably as many people become unreasonable in what they do because of their heart and their emotions being disturbed as they do as the intellect being troubled. And the two things are not apart from each other. Now, this morning I'm talking about the harmony of reason and Revelation. Look in 1 Corinthians 2, and uh, we're going to look at this chapter, and, and uh, I'm going to do a dangerous thing for a Baptist preacher. I'm going to go through an entire chapter with you at the beginning of a message on a Sunday morning. So, please, uh, 
don't go, don't go off into sleepy land, all right? I don't want you to sleep in the arms of Jesus. If you're already there, then I can't do much with you. 1 Corinthians 2. Let's look at this thing of the harmony of reason and uh, revelation. By the way, by revelation, what I mean is what God has revealed. God reveals some things about His nature through His creation. Be wise and through nature's working, see the God of nature. I read that little quotation this week. I thought it was a tremendous quotation. I wish I could describe it to whom it should be. But be wise and through the workings of nature, see the, look upward and see the God of nature was the correct word for it. And uh, that's a great statement. God reveals some things, doesn't He? The Bible says that the uh, firmament showeth the handiwork of God, doesn't it? It says that, that the speech is out there of God's creation speaks to us. And, and so we see these things. Uh, God reveals some things about Himself through experience of life. It's called the reproofs of life. The Bible said the ear that heareth the reproofs of life abideth among the wise. So He has different ways He teaches. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, kind of amazing, isn't it? Um, the often, often we learn by experience, but experience is in, is in small print. <laughs> Didn't get our attention the first time, does it? And so it's here. But then the revelation, the centerpiece of revelation is God's revelation of Himself as is recorded and kept in His preserved Word of God that we own. His Word reveals about Him. So if something in our experience seems to go against what is revealed, we have one of two things which is going on. Either the experience is misleading, even possibly uh, deceiving, because we understand our eyes can deceive us. Have you ever thought you saw something that wasn't there? Or you saw something and thought it was different than what it was? Um, certainly, our eyes can deceive us. Our ears can deceive us. There's a lot of comical things happen by uh, what we think somebody said and then what they actually said. And, uh, you know, uh, that goes on. Sometimes some non-comical things <laughs> happen because of that, aren't they? But um, that can either be deceived or it can be misleading. However, um, God wants to bring into harmony in our life, wants our life brought into harmony where our reasoning is responding properly to His revelation. And let me give you this. Look in 1 Corinthians 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, speaking to the church at Corinth, came not with excellency of speech. Now, don't think for a moment that he didn't try to do his best. Charles Spurgeon, in his excellent book, Lectures with My Students, said that a king should not travel in a dust cart, and neither should the truths of God be slovenly conveyed. And my, if there's a man that had the gift of, gift of language and, and taught a truth with it there. And so don't think that it, that it means for everyone who teaches and preaches uh, that are here, and many of you do, don't think that it's an excuse to be slothful in what we do or how we present it. But that's not where the power is. And so look again at it. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now do you think that Paul's knowledge was limited only to the crucifixion? No. But what he was doing was he was just presenting what was needed. He was just dealing with that. Anybody who's spent much time witnessing people know that people like to sidetrack you on things if they can. You go in and they want to talk about 
any number of, of controversial subjects they'll try to bring up. And what they're doing, they're trying to throw you off the trail. Well, you're trying to talk to them about their soul and the fact that Christ loves them and, and his, his, uh, his gift to them of himself and, and the danger of eternal loss and, and all this. They want to get you off onto something else. What do you think about this? They want to get you into politics or religious things, whatever like that. And the wise soul winner is kind of like the dog that's trained just to hunt coons. You don't go after possums. You don't hunt rabbits. You stay on the trail what you're after. And so that's, and, and by the way, that takes more diligence than you can imagine, especially if you have a mind attuned like mine that thinks debate is a wonderful form of exercise. And I have to remember the verse that I'm supposed to avoid debate because if I win the debate, I've done nothing but puff up my own pride and have not accomplished what God wants to accomplish. And so that, I uh, confess before you, that's, that's something I watch for with it. Um, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ. Christ and him crucified and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power why that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God oh my goodness that should be our heart Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the prince of this, princes of this world that come to naught. Is that naught? It means nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. By the way, which wisdom is revealed in His Word? And I can show you verses about that. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Usually that verse is left by itself. And you really need the next verse with it. But do you understand it says that the human capacities for understanding cannot encompass all that God wants to teach us about Himself in and of themselves. But I'm very glad... For that disjunctive conjunction that comes next at the beginning of verse 10. But, but God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, who, who is the one who has redeemed you and who is the one that keeps you if you are redeemed and who is the author of the Scripture. So I have not seen, an ear hath not heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him, but God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. I'll let you think about that for a moment. What an inheritance. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. And I believe that as teachers of the Word of God and preachers of the Word of God, we ought to be always seeking to be not only biblical in our context, context but also bibline in our speech. 
using as much as possible the biblical phraseology, terminology, and words that are set to describe what we're trying to, to put out. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, one not saved, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. I remember the few times I tried to read little portions of a Bible. I confess to you that when I got saved, I didn't know where Genesis was, but I'd picked up a Bible we had at the house, a big Hertel Blue Ribbon Family Edition. That's one of those big, huge ones. And uh, I'm the possessor of that now. That's been the family Bible a couple, three generations. And, and, and the, uh, uh, I had that, and I remember opening to different parts and reading it. Now, I can read the words. Uh, I tested college level plus in sixth grade at my reading level, so I've always been able to read reasonably well. And the comprehension level was there. But I could read the words. I knew what the words meant, by and large, almost all. But I didn't know it. I have to confess to you, after that good day on July 26, 1980, first time I opened the Bible after that, there was something that happened. Oh my goodness, there was something that happened. That book was different. That book was alive. That book started opening up. I'm going to tell you, many, many years later, now 41 years later, is that right? What is this? 47? How long? It'll be 47 years in July. I don't know. How long has been? Not 40. How long? 41? 42. 42 years. And the, uh, I can't get it right. Uh, 42 years later, the, uh, uh, I look at it, and uh, boy, I tell you this morning in Ephesians, I got, there was some fresh stuff there. There were things that I needed today from the Word of God. And there are things you need today from the Word of God that God has for you. And it's not by the enticing words of man's wisdom. It's by the Word of God. It's by His revelation being revealed. And there's so much to it. Verse 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. You understand the context of that. You're discerning about it. You judge it. You figure out what is and what isn't. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? The obvious answer is nobody has. Then look at this though. But we have the mind of Christ. How's that? Philippians. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so we can know, while we cannot encompass His mind, we can know His mind. We say that, don't we? It's common. Let me, let me know your mind on this. Let me know what you're thinking about this. Isn't that part of our common phraseology of our day? Same thing. We can know the mind of Christ. By the revelation of God, we can know what God wants in our life. He doesn't just leave us out there wandering around Wondering what it might all be about. Thank God he's much more kind than that. Look in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm talking to you today about the harmony of reason and revelation. The two need not be at odds with each other. Sometimes they are. The revelation of God does not ever change position in that particular situation. But sometimes reason, such as it is, puts itself at odds with it. First uh, Peter chapter three. Look in verse fifteen. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Let me give you a real simple explanation. Of that give Him a really special place. We read this morning about God ruling in your hearts. That statement's made, and uh, He uh, uh, give Him a really special place. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. 
and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you, what is a church? A what? A reason that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. And so we ought to be able to give a reason for the hope that lieth in us. That's the harmony of reason and revelation coming together. It's amazing. I don't remember what I said. I wish I would have. Uh, Caleb, one year when we were going to go uh, pass out tracks at the fair, I don't know if you remember there were some maybe early college age young people started walking along with us as we were catching people coming in. And the fellow asked me a question along the lines of why do you believe what you believe? Or how do you know that God is God? Or something like that. And I'll never forget what happened at that point. I wish I could remember the answer because, man, I'd like to have written that down. But it was like three or four things just came. Or how do you know the Bible's true? Or something like that. I forget it was one of those type of questions. And it wasn't a thought through thing. But at that moment when it was needed, the Holy Spirit gave me clear thinking on three or four verses and just boom, boom, boom. Here, 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 and here. And uh, I still remember the young man because his response was something along this. He goes, well, that was a clear answer. Not much you can argue with that. And, and, and what is that? We need to be ready to give a reason. Somebody says, well, I don't believe like you believe. You have that option. Well, I don't think you should believe that way. Let me tell you whom I believed. Let me tell you why. And uh, you may not agree with my reasoning, but let me tell you, it's not spurious. It isn't fragmentary. There's a reason. And it's built on the revelation of God. Here it is. And this has led me somewhere. This is what the Bible says. And it leads me to a certain way of thinking. Here's what the Bible says. It leads me to a certain way of seeing things. Here's what the Bible says. And it's led me to an understanding. And we can know some things because God has allowed us to know some things. We don't know everything. And we're not supposed to know everything. And by the way, most of us in this room are old enough and have sense enough to thank God we don't know everything. But I'm glad that he helps us along the way. Why? Uh, reason and revelation. There's a harmony between the two things. There's a harmony between two things. Uh, it is just as improper and spurious for someone to immediately say, to you, oh, you obviously don't know anything because you are a Bible believer, as it would be for you as a Bible believer to decide that they can't possibly have any sense or know anything because they don't accept the Bible. Do you follow what I just said? It's just as improper for someone to look down, oh, you're one of those. I've had the one of those said to me before. Um, oh, you're one of those. In other words, you believe the Bible literally. Oh, you're one of those. Oh, you're kind of anachronistic. You don't fit into the time period. You're, you're kind of a you know, throwback. Uh, you're, you're old school, saying it that way. You know? um, you're, you're whatever. It's just as improper for somebody to do that as it is for those of us to believe the Bible to assume that someone has no intelligence no capacity for thought, or, or maybe that they don't even have a structure for what they've thought just because they've gone against the Scripture. Now, is it correct? No, what is brought against the Scripture is not correct. But wait a minute, that doesn't mean that person is so ignorant that they can't have a thought in their head. You know where I'm trying to guide us to in this, God's people. 
for us not to be haughty in our belief in God. We ought to just be grateful that the God of heaven would love us. And if God shows us many things in the Scripture, and if God, God teaches us things in the Scripture, and if He gives you wisdom according to the Scripture, He didn't give it to you to puff you up. He gave it to you to be of service to Him. Let me give you a statement I wrote down about this. About the harmony. We do not primarily find God out by the reasoning of intellect, but rather by the receiving of revelation. Follow me. We do not primarily find God out, find out who He is, find out His nature and such, by the reasoning of intellect, but rather by the receiving of revelation. To be sure, reasoning is involved in the reception of revelation. However, our reasoning is not the primary thing. It's not primary either in importance or in order. Reasoning is not the primary thing. The revelation is the primary thing. Say, so, preacher, why are you saying? Stay with me, man. I can lose you real easy right here. Okay? Don't unhook the train. We're on the hill. You'll go backwards. They, uh, stay with me. The revelation is the primary thing. The reasoning is a tool for understanding the revelation. That makes the revelation is not subject to the reasoning. It's not changed by it. We may not understand what it says, but it says what it says. This very week in chapel, I was uh, teaching the young people and preaching through a certain passage and I read a verse. I think it may have been on Thursday and I had to look at them. I know it was either Tuesday or Thursday. That's when we had chapel. It had been Thursday because Tuesday Mike was here. So um, I, I looked at him and I said, I cannot tell you what that verse means. I've never figured it out. I don't understand how and where it fits and I can't teach you from it. So, well, that instills confidence in you. Yeah, well, that's not what I was thinking to do with that. I was just being honest. And, and so that particular verse is one where my reasoning does not comprehend. So, do I, do I regard that verse as spurious, unnecessary, a mistranslation, Something that shouldn't be there because my reasoning is limited? How we approach that reveals our heart towards things. And so, reasoning is involved in the reception of revelation, but it is not the primary thing, either in importance or in order. The revelation is the primary thing. We must seek to use our reason accurately to assess that which is revealed. What we just read, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, we're supposed to use it properly, in the proper way. And not assign our values and boundaries to what and who God is. <laughs> it's amazing to me when people make declarative statements. I, I heard one this week. Someone made a declarative st statement. God wouldn't do that. God would do this. Not based on Scripture. Not based on any foundation of what's revealed about God in His own Word. But just on what they were like and what they came to a conclusion things should be like. Therefore, God, who they have made a God that's smaller than themselves, now fits how they look at the thing. You'll not master this book, but you'd do well to have it master you. It's a powerful thing. And, and, and God wants us to understand He's revealed Himself. 
What's that mean? Uh, I, I, I have no use at all. In fact, I'm an enemy of. The cult-like teaching and talking and speaking that would cause a group of people in any group to divest themselves of their thinking process, to set aside their reasoning capacity, and just take for whatever the leader says as, as truth. That's a sign of a cult. But we must understand that our own reasoning is subordinate to revelation. There's only been a handful of times in all the many people I've talked to, however many thousands of people that may have been that I've personally talked to and witnessed to down over the years. It's got to be quite a number by now. There's only a handful of people. I can remember one particular. I remember he was sitting on a bicycle. He's talking to me about things. And I quoted Scripture to him, showed it how it fit together. And basically, I was just giving him the verse, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And I started talking to him about belief in the resurrection. He said, well, I'm not sure about that one. I said, hold on just a minute. I said, you, you don't believe that Jesus rose from the grave. Well, I'm not sure about that. It's okay. I said, appreciate you being honest with me. I could take you right to where we were actually talking. It's been a number of years ago. This fellow was in about 22, 23 years old. And uh, I said, let me show you some things. He said, okay. And I went through Scriptures. I went to the Scriptures about the resurrection, the proofs of it. And here, here's what the Bible says about this. Here's what the Bible says about that. Lady, if you need him to quit bothering you, I'll have somebody... Okay, the, the, but if uh, I said, here, here's the Bible verses dealing with this. And he read them. I said, do you understand what the Bible verse is saying? He goes, yes, I do. He said, but he says, I think it's a different way. And I said to him, I said, let me clarify something so it's right out in the open here. And we'd been talking a little while. I didn't, I didn't open up this way. I said, let me clarify something. I said, so you were telling me, I said, you look me right in the face, look me right in the eyes. I said, and you're telling me you're right and the Bible's wrong. And he goes, yes. We're bold like it. And then he just went. It was amazing. It was almost like he had punched him. I'm just staring at him. And I said, your words will judge you. And he's like, I really don't have anything else to say. And I still remember him pedaling away. Downcast look. How bold was that? Well, if it pierced through, and I never had contact with him again, if it pierced through to the acknowledgement of truth, then that was a blow that did him well. But I've only had that, I mean, literally a handful of times where I've looked at somebody and saying, so you say you're right. Do you not understand it? No, no, I, it says that. Okay, so you see this is what this says. Correct? Correct. Then what you're saying is you are right and the Bible's wrong. Correct? And at that point in time, they said yes. That's what I'm saying. We're going to have to set up and listen in here, buddy. You're with the big people. All right, you get to be one of the adults today, so we got to have you act like one. I think you can do it, help you out there. But the uh, when we're dealing with the reason and the revelation, this is the thing about it that our reasoning does not drive the revelation down, it helps us to understand it. There are three points I want to give you on that teach the purpose and the benefit when reason and revelation are in harmony, they're not fighting each other. Look at Isaiah 1. Let me show you one. These are neat. This is your heritage with this, all right? This is your take-home stuff to use with it. 
Isaiah chapter 1. Yeah, see, I told you. That little guy's not a little guy. He's a big guy. He can get figured out. Isaiah chapter 1. Look in verse 18. Do y'all ever get sleepy when Joe snores over there like that? I just didn't know. Bless his heart. All right. Isaiah chapter 1. I think he's about to do it for me. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Look at the beauty of this. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as what, church? Scarlet. They shall be as white as what? No. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as what? Why does he say? He said, let's reason together. He didn't say that your reasoning can forgive your sins. He didn't say that your reasoning can give you this position of acceptance. But He said, let's reason together. He said, there's a way that you can come to Me and by coming to Me, you can be made right. You can be made whole. You can be absolutely made to understand that you are clean in the eyes of a loving God. And your reason's involved in it. That's why I don't hide things. I, I thoroughly despise this. Brother Carpenter and I, it was one of our early points where we understood our minds were in much agreement. He was on staff other place and such, and we would meet. I would see these two at one of the either youth conference or when you all started coming up to pastor school. And y'all always got a lunch out of me too. How'd that happen? I was as poor as you were back then. But pardon? Oh yeah, I did do that, didn't I? You were being a weasel as one of my former teenagers. They get away with that stuff. Uh, that's how that happened. But uh, we didn't have two nickels rubbed together and we gave half of one to them. But we would, uh, we would meet for lunch and, and have an enjoyable time and enjoy that time together. And as we'd be talking about ministry and such, uh, for instance, um, uh, kind of slip things in. And, and you know, there's, there's a sly way they go about things. Like for instance, on the bus ministry, some places uh, when the bus... Uh, we have a, a permission form for people to be on the bus and you understand their legal ramifications we're hauling people's kids and such but on that form on some of them it says on the back or on the bottom usually smaller print uh, by signing this I, I understand I'm sending my child to a Baptist church and that if they receive Christ they have my permission to be baptized that's not pointed out but it's there now hold on you get a whole one of my kids and do something with them I didn't give you permission for. We're going to have a problem. I don't believe in doing God's work in a sneaky way. We don't have a sneaky God. I'll catch you by guile. What's that? That's when you think I'm over here and I punch you over here. That's okay. That's allowed. It's in the, it's in the epistles. But not being deceitful about things. Not, oh, you came down here, just go through that room, get you in there, just get ready to go get baptized. And some of you are saying, well, I would never do that anyway. You'd be surprised how many... No, you wouldn't. Look around what our world's done the last two years. Stand here, they stand here, move there, they move there. But why would you be surprised? Um, but it's... Uh, no, that's not it. It's reasonable. Come now, let us reason together. If you're actually going to accept Christ, you're going to have to accept Christ. You're going to have to face what you are without Him. You've got to face who He is and face the same. Or else it's just a religious conversion and not a conversion of the Spirit of God. And so the Bible says, come now, let us reason together. And think about it. When we start reasoning, it's reasonable that our Creator is brokenhearted at the destruction that sin has brought to us. And only our Creator could provide the way for it to be made right. And He did so. Amen. Emphatically and eternally. Thank God for it. I love that. that. That's a great thing. So what's this purpose of reason and harmony together? Because we have access to God that way. 
He uses our reason to bring us to Him. By the way, that's why it's so important that we praise Him while we have any being. No, there can be a point. Some of us have seen it, and this is a, this is a hurtful wound for many. Uh, we've seen a loved one slip away. Gone before they're gone, and the reasoning faculty is gone, and this sort of thing. Oh, let's be wise and serve God while we have the mind and the thoughts to do it. While we can marshal our thoughts. While we can keep praising God. Well, I'll tell you one of the most touching and I think uh, blessing type stories with this. The brother Terrell Hudson's daddy, Travis Hudson. Most of you know Brother Terrell. Most of you didn't know Brother Travis. He has preached here, but a long, long time ago. Brother Travis was a God anointed preacher. Just you just he's, you had to know him. Um, not a not just you know. Not a man who would impress you with his, his presence. He's like Brother Terrell. He's a slight man. He's just a little taller than Brother Terrell. But a slight man and a small. But boy, he preached the Word of God and just Scripture after Scripture. And he had that natural eloquence that just had you listen to it when he would preach. Brother, Ter- Brother Travis, before he went home to be at the Lord, he got pretty severe with his Alzheimer's. And uh, Brother Terrell's mom called Brother Terrell and said, Terrell? Uh, uh, Brother Terrell says he's always been confused all his life. He said, he said, Dad called me Terrell and Mom called me Terrell. I didn't know for sure what my name was. But she said, uh, Terrell, and uh, they're all Kentucky people. And she said, Terrell, she said, you can come down here. I need help with your daddy. And he said, my goodness, why? Because his dad never got aggressive or anything like that. And isn't it a strange thing with some of those diseases? Even somebody who's never been that way in their life can take a turn in that direction. But he didn't. And so Brother Terrell got there and he said, what's going on, Mom? And he said, your dad's standing out in the backyard. I can't get him to come in. And he walked out in the backyard, and, and Brother Terrell said there was a little dilapidated old shed that was in the corner of the yard. Just He said, just almost falling in. And he said, well, Terrell walked out there by his dad, and he says, Dad's just standing there with his head cocked looking at it. But he could tell he's just looking at it seriously. And he says, hi, Dad. And he says, hi. And he's like, uh, what you looking at? And he said his dad pointed at that shed and said, there needs to be a church started there. Now, Brother Travis started churches all over the Dayton region. He said, there needs to be a church started there. Well, Brother Terrell's got a different way of handling his dad than his mom did. His mom, of course, she didn't understand the fear and that relationship. She'd get exasperated. Brother Terrell just talked to him, asking him, why are you doing this? And, and, and had better, better, better success with it. And, uh, and he said, Brother Travis looked and said, there needs to be a church started there. Pointed at that old shed. So Brother Terrell looks at it and you know, instead of, well, it's broken down shed, what are you talking about? He said, why is that, Dad? And he said his dad turned around with all the old fire and said, because he's still on the throne. <laughs> so he didn't forget that. But let's not waste the days we have. Let's serve the God we serve. Let me give you another one. Access to God's forgiveness. Then a proper and thoughtful structure of doing God's work. Look in Acts chapter 6. A proper and thoughtful structure of doing God's work. <laughs> I have gotten tickled. I have uh, had occasion to spend a little time with our neighbor back over here. and We spent some time week before last again. I'm getting to know him and uh, we've enjoyed each other's company. But when I was talking to Paul about us selling the property and we were talking about the, the ins and outs of all that, I said, here's how we operate. And so what you'll know time frame wise, and I can't just make this decision myself, nor should I be able to make this decision by myself. 
And uh, I talked to him, and I just went over with him a little structure of how we do something like that. It was so funny. Paul sat there and looked at me, and uh, uh, gotten to know his looks a little since then. He had this quizzical look, and he goes, "So uh, you operate your church like a business, so you can actually get something done." And I said, yeah, contrary to most, most religious organizations, that's what we do. And he goes, and he looked over his wife, and she just kind of nodded. He goes, no, that makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense to bring the reasoning that God's given us to doing his work well. It's his work. Why should it not be done well? <laughs> Acts chapter 6, they'd had a problem. And the problem was, that church grew so fast, they didn't know what to do with it. Consider... The day before the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people in that New Testament church. 120. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved and baptized. Some of you have never been around large crowds of, of a real church, not some kind of, you know, hip-hop or rock and roll be a great show, but a real church that's actually operating like a church. You get a church of that size of several thousand, it's almost staggering what goes into doing that. We were in a church that at the Zenith we were going there, they were running 100 bus routes, fully functional bus routes, 100. Just the organization of that every day, every, 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 every week was unbelievable. And literally, because of the placement in northwest Indiana, they ran as far as Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is right at the bottom of it, and they ran down into Crown Point, Indiana, and they lost a kid off one bus and sent him two states away. Now, you try to explain to a parent why your kid from Kenosha is in Indiana. There's, they don't make words to get you out of that kind of trouble. But God wants us to run things well. So this church went in a single step from 120 to 3,120. I can't, I can't do it. A recurring nightmare I have. It shows up every so many months. I've got two of them that show up over and over. I'm getting tired of the reruns, truthfully. One is I'm supposed to be preaching somewhere and I can't get to the pulpit. You wouldn't believe the things that happen. I lose my shoes. I get lost in the building. I, get, I mean, it's just like, really? The other one happens here. And I know this will sound strange, and the only reason it does is because it is. Um, but uh, <laughs> the... Everybody who's been here has been a member here, has visited here over all these years, shows up in one Sunday. You say that'd be a blessing. You could hold a tithe of them in this building. They all show up. The last time it showed up, I was trying to organize things and they were sitting completely in the parking lot and up the hill. You say, well, that'd be a blessing. You've never tried to organize, even in a dream, it's a nightmare. But this church had the reality, 3,120. Now, I don't know that they all tried to get in the same building, same meeting place at one time or not. But yet they, they started trying to function as a church family. <laughs> and we go down to this little church of 120, come visit us. Oh, we now go to a church of 3,120. You know, uh, what's with this? Listen to what happens. And in those days, Acts 6, verse 1, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians, those are the non-Jewish converts, against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministrations. The entire early group had all been Jews. Now the Greeks have come in and the Greek widows don't feel like they're being taken care of 
as well as the other ones do. And if you don't think that's reality in church life, you've not been around it much, uh, people will say, well, you know, this one or that one, and, and uh, I'm not being cared for, and this one's treated better, and my child's not treated as good, and this one's treated better, and you like this family, and you don't like that. That pettiness and that carnality has always been a part of uh, the Christian church. It was no different back then. And so they had a problem. And by the way, it had happened because there was a problem. And it was not a quote-unquote spiritual problem. It was an organizational problem. And the problem was they, the Meals on Wheels wasn't getting there fast enough. Right? I've told you it was chow and chariots in those days, wasn't it? Verse 2, now watch this. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them. So the twelve there are... are getting the Word of God. They're teaching the Word of God. They're trying to teach others to teach the Word of God. And said, look at the phrase, it is not reason. I'm not adding to the Word of God. It's the concept it isn't a reasonable thing. It doesn't make sense within reasoning. Um, my mom used to say good sense and reason and that goes together there. Then the twelve called the multitudes of the disciples unto them and said it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. They said, we're going to use our reason in this. Because if we leave doing what we're doing, which is the Word of God, and that's full-time if we're doing it right, that's full-time if we're preparing, that's full-time if we're training others, if we leave that to serve tables, then we're going to have no reason to meet together because we're not teaching you the Word of God anymore, and all we're going to have is a big social club. So what did they do? They said, look out to seven men of a good report full of the Holy Ghost, and we'll find those men, then bring them to us, we'll approve them, and we will set them over what to do. We will administrate it. We're overseers of it. You find out and bring us recommendations. We'll do that. What were they doing? They were saying, these folks need cared for, but it's not reasonable for anybody within the body of Christ to try to be a one-man or a one-woman show and get everything done. Someone needs to take care of this part while someone takes care of this part. And those who are teaching and their main ministries about the Word need to be about the Word. And so reason, it gives us proper and thoughtful structure of God's Word. And then let me say lastly to you, um, reason helps us individual usability for Christ and a clean life that's unencumbered by lust, pollutions, and filth and the entanglements of this fleshly world. Look in Romans chapter 12 for this. God will give us a good life, not tangled up in the pollutions of this world. That may be a new record right there. They ain't got to hear that on the podcast. Romans 12. Don't be afraid, children. It's not a bear coming to get you. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye, individually, present your bodies a living sacrifice. What condition? Holy. Acceptable unto God, which is your, what type of service? Reasonable service. This is just reasonable. If Christ died for you, you should live for Him. If Christ gave His all for you, then you should give Him preeminence in your life. Look where it leads. And be not conformed to this world. Be pressed by the pressure into a certain mold. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. 
that you may prove. Look how it all ties back together. What is that good? And per- acceptable and perfect will of God. So reason in harmony with revelation causes us to be a useful tool to God. And what does it do? It allows our life to be used to be a proof of the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The God of heaven wants to prove himself through you. And in the harmony of reason and revelation, that can be accomplished. Let me pray with you this morning. All right, Father, thank you for your book. Thank you for what you teach us from it. And help us ever to be people wanting to serve you and to give honor to your name. Thank you for all that goes into a congregation choosing to listen to the word of God and wanting to benefit from it. And I pray you'll bless every sincere heart before you. Whether it's a heart wanting to know you as a Savior, whether it's a heart wanting to grow and to get stability, whether it's a heart not wanting to be taken captive to, by the devil at his will, God, as they seek you in honesty, Lord, may you help them to know what step to take next. Bless this invitation. May you be honored by it, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together, please. The song invitation, why don't you come this morning and uh, I ask you, what, does he have preeminence in your life? Do you choose to let your reasoning be guided by the revelation of God? Why don't you come this morning? Your reasoning will always have gaps. I don't understand exactly how it all works. And those who wait to try to figure out how it all works will die waiting. I don't like the term blind faith. Faith is a higher faculty than reason. And faith is not unseen. Faith makes a decision, a judgment based on the evidence presented concerning the things which it can't see. You would find that what I just said is in line with the scriptural teaching what faith is. The evidence of things not seen. Just as Christ came all the way from heaven to us because we could not go to heaven, even so in our belief, our following, our faith, He fills the gaps that our human frailty leaves so open. That's why whoever in this, and the Lord's the only one who know this, whoever in this room this morning has the strongest faith also at times has doubts and fears because it has gaps. Our reason has gaps. And at that time, we trust God to be who He is. And sometimes we just say, I don't know. I don't know why I worked that way. I don't know why it turned out that way. I don't know why it came around that way. But I know God's good. If you read about old brother Job, you'll find out that's what he kept coming back to. Couldn't make sense of what he was looking at at all. And he'd just come back and say, well, I believe God's character is who he is. Because that's what's been revealed. And then from that, he got much more reasoning. Amen. Let me pray with you, please. Father, thank you for your people, for the precious opportunity to talk to them again. Thank you for loving them with an everlasting love. Thank you for allowing me to play a part in helping them. And Lord, I pray you'll help us to love you and be a people who rejoice in you and do good by your name this week 
and uh, tell others about how good a God you are. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you, and thank you so much for coming today. I do appreciate it. Thank you.